Episode 19 of My Life is a Junk Drawer, 10 Years Later. Welcome to My Life is a Junk Drawer with your host, me, Sue Mangum. This podcast is meant to help you clean out the junk in your heart, soul, body, and yes, junk drawer. Thanks for listening. Hi, guys. I just wanted to come on before the upcoming episode and explain a little bit about the episode. As many of you know, it has been 10 years since my first husband, Mike's death, and I was going to come on and do this great episode about how far I've come and all the lessons that I've learned and all the steps that I've taken to go where I go, but grief kind of took over this last week and it kind of hit me out of the out of nowhere. And even yesterday, my grief was pretty tough and you might be able to hear it in my voice in this episode that's coming up. And as you can tell today, I'm okay. And that's what happens with grief. It's It just will hit you out of nowhere for no good reason. But it's super raw. It's very real. It's unscripted. And I thought that's just what my show was about. It's about emptying our junk drawers. And obviously, I had a lot of junk to empty when you listen to this episode. I have some stories to tell. I hope you just stay with me. If any of you are going through grief right now, I hope that it maybe shows you that you're not alone and the crazy thoughts that go through your head and the things that happen. I do also want to let you know that I read an excerpt from Braver Than You Believe. In the, epi- uh, in the excerpt, the names have been changed because we wanted to remain anonymous. So Mitch is Mike. And Michael, to confuse you, it's Chase, and Jordan is CJ. At the end of the little excerpt, I end up telling you the right names, but if not, you're going to be confused if you didn't know that up front. Also, there's a lot of dramatic pauses, so you may want to listen at 1.25 speed. You can tell I'm trying to gather my thoughts a lot. Okay, without further ado, here's 10 Years Later. Hello, and welcome back to another week of My Life is a Junk Drawer. This week, I am coming to you solo, and please bear with me because I have sat down three times to write what I wanted to say to you, and each time I sat down, I couldn't get anything out on paper. So I'm kind of winging this and going by the seat of my pants and hoping for the best. So I hope that I can give you a little bit of advice, a little bit of inspiration, and a little bit of guidance on how to get through grief. So I come to you the day after the 10th anniversary of my husband Mike's death. Yeah, there's a pause there because I am feeling very surreal in my grief this week. I have gone through a lot of anniversaries, and usually the anticipation of the anniversary is worse than the actual day. I try to always plan something special. Mike loved the original Pancake House, so for several years, maybe all of the years, I can't remember, but I know for the last several years, we had kind of skipped school and gone 
to the original Pancake House and had like a little, I want to say celebratory breakfast, but it wasn't a celebration, it, but it was. We were celebrating his life. And this last year, we did not go to the pancake place because none of us really wanted to eat pancakes, which sounds crazy, but it is true. Libby is working with some allergies. Uh, Chase wasn't here. CJ was leaving. Despite the grief and everything that had gone on, we did not go eat pancakes. Now, the night before, we did have a little champagne toast with CJ and I celebrated with Mike's brother and my sister-in-law and some friends. So it was really kind of cool. And then Sunday, Libby and I decided that we wanted to go to the gravesite. So we went down 400 and went in and brought some flowers to Mike's grave. Now, this is not a place that we as individuals go very often. To me, That's not where Mike is. Mike's not buried in the ground. Mike is everywhere. He comes with me every single day. And so I don't have to go to the grave to feel him or to honor him. I know some people feel exact opposite. Some people feel really, really close to their loved one that has died when they go to the grave. I know a lot of people do it to honor them. So whatever your your take on the grave is is a-okay. But this is just how we have always felt. So Libby hadn't been to the gravesite in years. But we were talking a day or two before, and we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do. And we decided that's where we would go. So we went down and put the flowers on the grave and did a little crying. And Libby walked away, and she's like, you're right. I don't feel like he's here. So not that we're not going to go back, but we don't have to rush back there. Anyway, I thought that I would give this great tutorial on how to make it 10 years through grief. And what I didn't realize is that I have just been struck with some some paralyzing almost grief this week. Just it's been, if anybody out there has just lost a spouse or a parent or God forbid a child or a friend, that first part of grief Gosh, it's like a brick on your chest. And some of it is just seems hard just to take a breath. I remember that so completely, just that that shallow breath, the, the ache in your heart, and just the weight of the world on your shoulders. But it does get lighter and lighter as time goes on and as you take steps to heal. The last couple of years, I have done really well during the anniversary. But this year, for some reason, I don't know, maybe because it's a decade and it just doesn't seem like a decade could have passed, or maybe because the house is getting smaller. I don't know what the reason is, but I have had some bouts of grief that I would equate more to early grieving and not later stages of grieving. So I just have carried on this week. I have a lot of laundry that I haven't done. I just looked at my desk and I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many things I haven't done this week. But I have kind of just let the grief come in because I have realized that sometimes you just have to sit in the sadness and you have to get through it. The light is at the end of the tunnel. And if you push it away, then it just, it comes right back. So I've kind of sat in my grief this week. But 
I'm going to try to pull myself out of my little grief hole and tell you some of the things that I've done right, some of the things I've done terribly wrong, and some of the things in between. For the next 15 minutes, this is a little glimpse into the life of a young widow. I'm going to just come to you from the widow standpoint, but I think a lot of this grief can be correlated to, um, especially a lot of people in my age group, as we, our parents become aging, and so we're losing parents, and, you know, some of us have lost close friends. It's just crazy, all of the things that have happened, and like I said, the death of a child, there can be nothing worse. I just, I just can't, I can't fathom anything that would be worse than that. I do want to say that I am not an expert. I am not a therapist. I am just one woman telling her story. Remember that when I give you all this stuff, it's just coming from my heart and my experience and what I've learned, but not anywhere from a professional standpoint. I am going to take you back to the very day of Mike's death. One of the great things that I did was create a little online email support group with my friend, Tony, who is in episode three. If you want to go back and take a listen to her, she had just been going through a divorce as I was going through, as I had lost Mike. And we sat on my couch one day and said, what do you think if we create this group? I had a friend who had reached out, my friend Nikki, We realized that this could be a solid source because we couldn't always be able to pick up the phone and talk to someone. But via email, it was really easy to communicate and we get responses back. So we started this community. We ended up with three widows and three young divorcees. And we were all single moms trying to get through this loss in our life. So my first, when I first started it, I told everyone that they had to tell us their story because though I knew everybody in the group, I did not really know where their story came from, how it was developing, and so we wrote the story. So I'm going to read an excerpt from Braver Than You Believe um, about my story um, and on the day that Mike died. One October day, the sun shone brightly, and I was busy getting ready to have friends over for a jewelry party. My younger son, Chase, ate at the time, had been running a fever during the night and was staying home sick. Earlier that morning at 7 a.m., my husband Mitch stumbled to the bathroom, dizzy and nauseous, thinking he was going to throw up. He got back in bed and we both thought he had Michael's bug. His neck jaw was hurting, but not excruciating, and his chest was a little tight. Mitch has asthma, so I wasn't worried. As the morning went by, he actually took a shower, ate some Honey Nut Cheerios, I even asked him if he thought he was going to be able to go to work. No, he said, he didn't feel that good. He did call the doctor and gave him his symptoms and made an appointment for that afternoon. He said they didn't seem concerned and that he was going to take a nap. My son was feeling better at this point and I was busy cleaning the house. Twice I thought about going into our room, but then realized I would wake Mitch up and he needed the rest. At about noon, I thought, wow, Mitch is really going to feel better when he wakes up. He has taken a great nap. How ironic. When I walked in the room, I immediately saw his ashen face. His lips weren't pink, 
Something I knew was a bad sign from when I first had my son, Jordan. A nurse had told me as long as the baby's lips are pink, they are breathing. I had to walk out of the room and come back in because I couldn't get my head around it. I called 911, tried to perform CPR, and knew when the EMTs took him away in the ambulance that Mitch was dead. Oh, we called him Mitch in the book. Sorry, Mike. After getting the autopsy reports, I learned that he died of an aortic aneurysm. His aorta had burst in the morning and he had slowly bled out. Even if we had taken him to the hospital earlier, he probably would have died. It would have been scary and traumatic. Instead, he got to take a nap and die in his own bed around the family he loved. I'm now a single mom of teenager, CJ, third grader, Chase, and a five-year-old, Libby. A picture I never would have painted, but now have to live with. So that is my story of the day Mike passed away and how I remembered it. This this was written in January, right after he died. He died in October, and this was written in January. And when I read it, I can actually get drawn back to that day. I mean, there were so many more things that happened. I remember my neighbor coming over and helping me neighbors across the street and on the other side. And I remember Chase and he was so scared and I was scared. And oh my gosh, it's not a day that I love to relive. But unfortunately, it is a day that I will never forget. Creating this email support group with others was such a huge healing point. I mean, by the end of our book, none of us were completely okay. But we all had this foundation of friendship and camaraderie and community. We talked about how big a community is. And it just was so solid. And I mean, we could go with anything. If if our kids were hurting or driving us nuts, if our friends had said something that they didn't realize had hurt our feelings, there, there were so many times where I would be writing at night, just, you know, lonely and desperate and needing needing someone to listen, but not knowing where to turn. And then there were so many times where I was like, oh my gosh, this I have achieved this, or I've gotten past this. And they all kind of knew because they were going through their own grief. Anyone out there who's going through loss, let's I'll throw out some divorces, divorces, creating a group or building a community around people that have gone through the same experience can be so healing, can be so much help to you because though they walk in their own shoes and they can't necessarily feel what you feel down to the nth degree, they do kind of know what you're going through. They've had that loss. They know how it hurts. They know the ups and downs of grief. They know one minute you're laughing, the next minute you're crying. They can understand a lot of what you're going through. So I guess my first piece of advice for people who are going through some sort of loss is to reach out and see if you can build a community or find some of your friends or friends of friends who are going through the same loss. I think that is kind of important. We were single moms. That's what we had together. We had lost a relationship. You know, being a divorcee and being a widow is different. It has a lot of the same loss feelings. But I would say if you have lost a parent, like a mom, maybe you could find someone in a mom that have lost their mom group. Um, that's that's what I would just say, because I think like losses are important, because I think that you probably feel something different when you lose your mom than when you lose a spouse. 
there's just different feelings. You, you know, you kind of feel orphaned, I think, when you lose a parent. And then I felt abandoned when Mike died. So those were kind of the differences there. At about four months into my grief, after I pretty much couldn't read anything, I just started reading every book on grief that I could find. I mean, I would go, when Libby was in preschool, I would go to Barnes and Noble and I would go to their grief section and I would just, all right, which one looks good this week and what can I do? And this was a little bit before Amazon, though I did end up ordering some books. 10 years ago, Amazon wasn't like it is today. We didn't have Prime delivering everything to our door, you know, every other day. One of my very favorite books was I'm Grieving as Fast as I Can by Linda Feinberg. She was a young widow herself. And she just, oh my gosh, she put so many, how do I describe it? So many things that I was feeling she put into words that I couldn't, I couldn't explain in words. She was really funny. One of her things was widow should have a button like a red and a green side, like the red side was, no, I don't want to talk about it today. And the green side would be like, oh my gosh, I want to talk about it. Please come and talk to me. Because we kind of go through these things that one day we want to talk about it and the next day we don't. And I know you people out there who are trying to help us probably think that we're psychotic because one day we're talking and the next day we aren't. But that was something I felt a lot. Um, but she kind of, there's um, the young widow's person's rights that she wrote in her book. Basically, she says, individuals, I'm going to read this from the book. Um, Every individual needs something to look forward to. You are entitled to a life of your own besides the life of mommy or daddy. You need to make time for yourself, time to enjoy your own adult friends or time to make some new ones. Maybe you need to have permission to live a life on your own. All right, here it goes. Your husband or wife died several months ago. You might feel like you died too, but you didn't. You are entitled to the following young widow's person's rights. Number one, you have the right to live. Any mistakes you've made in the past are forgivable because you are only human. Y'all give yourself some grace. You're going to make good choices. You're going to make bad choices. Hit the reset button and start over when you make those bad choices. The days that I fell apart or I yelled and screamed at the kids, oh my gosh, sometimes I would sit there and feel so guilty and so bad about myself. You have to give yourself grace. You're hurting, they're hurting. It's a new life that you're trying to develop and you are going to stumble along the way. It is okay. Number two, you have the right to a social life. You do not have to live with Netflix and the couch for the rest of your life. I'm adding that. She, she just said you have a right to social life. I'm embellishing as we go to make it more fun. You have the right to go out in the evening. This is something I struggled with. I was like, do I leave my kids? Can I not leave my kids? I'm going to like lose my mind if I don't lose my kids. And I remember talking to my therapist thinking, is it all right if I go out with friends? Is it all right if I go out on the weekends? And she was like, absolutely, absolutely. You have the right to go out, so don't feel guilty about that. Number four is a big one. You have the right to meet a new man or woman or new men and women to date, to have intimate relationship if and when you're ready to do so. So really no one can define when you can do this. Some people do it earlier than others. I did it earlier. I am going to admit right now, 
junk in my junk drawers, I went out earlier. At around seven months, I was super lonely and craving attention and craving some sort of intimacy. I went out um, to 37 Maine. I remember here in Beaufort, Georgia, and I would dance the night away with guys. And to me, it was really fun. I didn't build any super lasting relationships. I did have one little guy on the side that we texted a little bit, but I did it super early. I I wouldn't recommend it. I think that you probably need to wait longer, but I think it's individually up to you. All right, you have the right to sleep in late once in a while. You have the right to spend money on yourself. Oh my gosh, I remember I went out in January and bought a new car. I had a 10-year-old Toyota Sequoia, and I called her um, Big Bertha, Big Blue Bertha. She was a blue Sequoia. My my goodness, that that girl could go. And we had bought her uh, to get, you know, through the kids stage. We had baseball and football and all kinds of sports equipment and three kids and hauling things back and forth, going places. So we bought this really big car. My thoughts were I was going to keep driving it until it broke down on the side of the road. Then I was going to call a cab because there was no Ubers back then. (laughs) I was going to call a cab. I was going to go right to the dealership and buy a new car right then. And this was actually a year. It was about 15 months after Mike passed away. I thought, hmm, I, this thing is never going to die. My Sequoia was never going to die. Had 160,000 miles on it, wasn't going to die. So I finally went and took it to the dealership at Toyota and I bought a smaller SUV, but I did it all by myself. I couldn't believe it. I did it. I made the negotiations. I looked up all of the blue book value, the Kelly book. I talked to my dad, I talked to some friends what they had, and I made this decision all by myself. But then, you know, you kind of get buyer's remorse. I got home and I was like, have this really great car. Is everybody going to think that I'm, you know, spending the life insurance money on new cars and not my kids or something like that? I, I had definitely had some guilt about spending money. I don't think anybody ever questioned that I got a new car. But in my head, I was kind of hard on myself on that. You have the right to spend money on yourself. You can buy a new outfit, buy some new shoes. You have that right. Oh, this is a big one. You have the right to have your children help you with the household chores. Well, I wasn't as great at that as I could have been. Not in the beginning because I just thought they'd lost so much, you know, they don't need to do all this other stuff. And... At one point I had, I think it was in February, so about five months after Micah passed away, I was building a fire and it was really cold and icy and snowy in a February. I can't remember what year it was. I guess it was 2010. That was like our snowy year. And I slipped. I had gone out to get some wood in my Crocs and I slipped and I basically threw all the wood on my head. was terrible. I think I gave myself a concussion, but I was not, there was no way that I was calling the ambulance. I was just, you know, not going to do it. I had already had an ambulance here. I was not having another one. I kind of got upstairs, undressed, kind of assessed the situation. I'm like, okay, I think I'm all right. I think I'm all right. And this was kind of like around five o'clock, I think in the afternoon. So I was upstairs and I called CJ up at around six or six thirty or whatever. And I was like, 
CJ, you are going to have to make dinner for the for for everybody. And he's like, what? Now, okay, he's 13. And he was like, I have to make dinner for everybody. I'm like, I am just, I don't feel good. I have a terrible headache. Um, you're going to have to do this for me. <laughs> so, you know, he looked at me like I had just asked him to, you know, pull all his teeth out or something, you know, just crazy. And I said, go downstairs, you can make some macaroni and cheese, boil the water, put the noodles in, follow the instructions, you can do this. And you know what, you guys? He did it. He made macaroni and cheese. That was like a good thing that happened during a bad thing. And my therapist helped me point that out because I was like, oh, this is so terrible. Can you believe he doesn't even know how to make macaroni and cheese? And she's like, well, now he does. You let him make it. And you couldn't help him and he did it, didn't he? Let him do stuff. Um, after that, I kind of created a small little chore list that each one had a responsibility. Again, it wasn't that big of stuff. It was like entering the dishwasher and taking the garbage out. I do think that that's a, a very good advice. And number nine that she says, you have a right to do all of the above without feeling guilty. And as I already said before, you know, guilt is just, I don't know, I should have some good, should be Catholic because I have some good Catholic guilt inside me. I tend to feel guilty about so many of the things that I have done in the past. I remember, I didn't, I didn't get this book right up four months. I think I found it toward more towards six months, but I think I read it three times in a row just because I couldn't get enough of what she was saying. And I was so craving someone telling me that it was okay to feel all these things I was feeling and these crazy feelings of, oh my gosh, I'm looking at another guy. How could I do that? You know, six months, my husband just died six months ago and I'm, I'm, you know, looking at guys and wondering, you know, oh, are they married or, you know, they're cute. I don't know. I struggled with that so much. You know, when I took off my wedding band, did I take it off? Do I keep it on? I remember being in the grocery store one day and my kids, I think I had Chase and Libby with me and they were just melting down. It was the wrong time to bring them to the grocery stores, probably around four o'clock. And I always felt like people were kind of judging me anyways, but that was me. That was in my head. That was in my own grief. But I remember thinking I have my wedding rings on and the kids are freaking out. And I'm thinking everyone's just looking at me going, oh my gosh, how come she can't keep those kids together? Why can't she you know, control them. And at that moment, I was like, I want them to know that I am a single mom. I needed them to understand that my life had fallen apart and these kids were breaking down, not because I had this lack of rules or regulations or discipline in their life, but because we were all just hurting so badly. And I think very shortly after that, I took my rings off. And I said, well, at least they'll think I'm a single mom now. At least they'll have a little empathy for me. Okay, these are the crazy things that go on in my brain. I I have really emptied my junk drawer today. I can't believe I'm almost at 30 minutes because I was like, oh, I'm never going to be able to speak about this for such a long period of time. But I was just kind of going through this. I want to wrap it up and make this not too long. So I want to share a couple of more things. Therapy is a must. It saved me. A good therapist will be your best friend for a long time going through grief or loss. They just are. If you can find someone that you can trust and that you can just say anything to, and they are, they don't react, they are kind, they aren't 
judgmental and they will guide you and lead you down the steps of grief and into the world of recovery and healing and love. So I guess those are my three things that I am going to give you today on going through grief. Find your tribe, your group, read, find books, some way to understand. Remember all of the nine things that I just told you about the rights that you have as, as a widow or someone with loss and therapy, therapy, therapy. I cannot tell you more about therapy. All right, I'm going to leave you because Shauna Nyquist had something on her Instagram the other day that I just found so inspirational and I'm going to read it to you now. It says, a reminder about grief. It isn't linear, doesn't honor the calendar or the clock or the weather, doesn't obey the laws of logic or effort. It's unpredictable and sneaky, and it lives right alongside joy and hope and good work. And sometimes it's so quiet, you think it's gone. And then out of nowhere, it knocks the wind out of you on a Sunday morning or a Thursday afternoon. And sometimes it feels tender like sadness, but other times it feels enormous and powerful like rage or fire. I've walked through a lot of grief in the last 10 years. I've lost my husband, a super good close best friend, my dad. CJ's had two open heart surgeries. I, my mom has had a lot of health issues. So grief comes at all these crazy times. And I just thought that was great words to tell people. She has such a wonderful way with words. So I think this might have been a little bit heavy, but I hope that at some point you understand the life of someone that's going through grief, or if you're going through loss of your own, maybe you can understand some of the feelings you're feeling. What I said is give yourself grace, give yourself time, tell yourself it's okay. and Just try to keep one foot in front of the other. Sometimes it's just one breath at a time, but you too can get through and get to the other side. And one day you'll look back and it'll be a decade that is gone. And you'll look and say, wow, I did pretty good after all. See you guys until next week. I hope that you find some grace within yourself. Give some support to someone who needs it. Love all those around you. And have a great week. Well, there are all my junky drawers. Goodness gracious. I had some stories to tell and... Yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. Anyways, I hope that it helped at least just one person out there. Next week, we are talking about uh, infertility and miscarriages. And I hope that you will join us again. It's going to be another great episode. But until then, you guys have a great week. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening. Hey, if you like what you heard, if you would give me a review, that would be fabulous. The more reviews I get, the higher I get, the more people can listen to me and find me. Oh, by the way, you can find me at mylifeisajunkdrawer.com or on Facebook at mylifeisajunkdrawer. On Instagram, it's Sue C. Mangum. You can leave questions, concerns, anything, and I'll be sure to get back with you. Hope to hear from you soon.